Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hello and welcome into the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galanti along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, the bye week is over. It's time to get back into football mode. Are you ready for that? I think we're going to find out over the next few minutes. So that's going to, this is going to be a litmus test. We record a little bit earlier in the week. So I am still coming off of doing a whole lot of nothing. And not even that I did a whole lot of nothing. I just took one day off. I took Saturday off and it feels like I have been off for a month. Uh, so I, we were actually doing the calculations uh, with football season. It was 97 days since the last day I didn't do it, do any like work. Then I got back to it on Sunday. So uh, one day off, ready to go. So let's get to it. So instead of a bye week, T. Frank had a bye day. Yeah. So let's talk about those Nittany Lions. One thing that's part of the bye week was discussed quite a bit is this is a time for uh, self-evaluation, self-scouting to be done by the team. Now, I'm sure all the Penn State fans would love to be a fly on the wall, be in that room and hear what it's like. I'm here to tell the listeners, we got something better for you. Instead Jeez. of those coaches with the self-scouting, we've got T-Frank to do it for us. So trust me, even better. Better than talking to Mike Yersich or Manny Diaz. But before we get into it, T-Frank, let's talk about what is meant by self-scouting. What mm-hmm. are the coaches doing when they say, all right, we're going to spend time self-scouting? 
Uh, well, the way James Franklin has explained it is that the, it, it's both internal and across the football. So Mike Yersich will self-scout, and then Manny Diaz will come in and say, hey, these are the things I noticed watching your offense on film. This is how I would attack it. And then vice versa of Manny Diaz, you know, uh, will get the same treatment from Mike Yersich of he'll watch that side of the ball and say, hey, your defense, the way you're calling this, you have a couple weaknesses here that I think teams might exploit down uh, the road. And so that's really what it is, is trying to identify your blind spots. And for a defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator, they're, you know, they're human. And, uh, you know, they have things they like. They have things they don't like, just like everybody else. And uh, you, you, it's kind of like, I would imagine it's kind of like eating your vegetables. Of like, okay, yes, okay, fine. Yes, I need to do that. I need to run X certain concept that I don't really like. Or I need to make sure I'm attacking X part of the field that we're not attacking right now. Um, as consistently, and those are, you know, the internal conversations that James Franklin is precipitating between his, his coaching staff and making sure that everyone is um, aware of their blind spots and their weaknesses so that they're not surprised by something that Ohio State or Michigan or Indiana do in the second half of the season, or if Maryland wants to try to attack something, they're prepared for, hey, we know our weaknesses, therefore we can defend against them better. All right, T. Franklin, let's let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Let's play Manny Diaz scouting the Penn State offense. Yeah. And we'll get into the individual players and how they're working out and how, what they're doing. But let's talk about it in self-scouting terms. As the fan, as the layperson, the things that I am able to see are, gee, how come there's no big plays? In, mm -hmm. First of all, in the passing game, they're not throwing the ball deep. And in the running game, I'm sure no one's saying, hey, don't call the plays where we get a big run. Right. But the end result is they're not getting those big runs. Mm -hmm. So are you seeing anything in the play calling that has led to those issues? No. And, and this is where, you know, I, I apologize. I'm not willing to take that step of being like, well, Mike Yersich isn't doing this well in his job because like he he knows much more than I do. Um, I will give you my observations of things that I have seen in the past that I don't see with this particular team. And some of the things that I think they have been working on for three years now that they're really implementing and they're kind of working through. So the first thing is uh, outside zone. I have to, I talk about this way too much. Um, it's some, but I think it's an important topic in conversation with Penn state because I've seen them increase the percentage of using this particular running system over the last three seasons where Mike Yersich comes in, he wants to use this and they don't use it the first year because they're not good at it. They don't have either the athletes on the offensive line, or they haven't had the time to establish that sort of culture of this is how we do it. And that institutional knowledge that the players and, and coaches can pass down to new players and coaches. It just wasn't there right away. Um, and then last year, you see it a little bit more. And this year, it is a prominent part of their offense, especially uh, early in the season. So I think that there has been a bit of, I'm not saying they used the first five games to just get better at their base offense, but I think they were dedicated to running their base offense and not getting away from it so that later in the year, they can come back and rely upon that because you don't get better at something unless you do it. And uh, this year kind of feels like a turning point for me watching the offense and what they're committed to doing. And that's really given them, I think, a good bit of balance. But that means that you're, if you're running one thing, you're not running something else. And we've talked about this before with Bretton Strange. It's not just Bretton Strange, but with their counter game, meaning pulling two players from the backside of the play to a front side of the play in a uh, power gap type scheme. 
Um, they are not as good at that this year. They in, in, they implemented it the last couple of weeks, and it had middling results. So what are you working on? What are you good at? And how do you strengthen your weaknesses? So I think like, you know, basic inside zone man, everyone runs those things. They're supposed to mirror each other, and they're supposed to be kind of complementary. And then it's about what do you do well that you major in, and what can you do well as a wrinkle in the run game? And I think that's where I'd start is, I don't think that they need to um, change anything. I just think they need to make sure in certain situations they're getting better blocks. And that goes up to what Mike Yersich said in the run game is getting better double teams. I think they've done a good job of that, and they've really emphasized that, but it's about getting to the second level and making a complete perfect run play. But I'm pleased watching the progress of the offensive line that I think they've done a better job of being more physical up front and creating better opportunities, even if they aren't getting to the second level consistently. If you're getting three, four yards, like the offense is giving the running game at least two yards on every single play, the running backs then have to make something happen, you know, in whatever situation remains. It's then about the offensive line taking that to the next level and the running backs literally taking it to the next level. Okay, T. Frank, you talked about uh, saying you talk about this a lot. Let me give you the one thing that I talk about a lot, which is if you're going to run a read option, one of the options is for the quarterback to pull the ball out and yeah. run it himself. And I get when folks say, hey, wait a minute, do you really rather Drew Aller running the ball than Nick Singleton? Mm -hmm. Of course not. However, if that's part of the play, and the quarterback is no threat to run the ball, obviously the defense is going to see that tendency and is just going to focus on the running back. Am I right in pointing that out? I recall, I think, one time that Drew Aller actually pulled the ball out and yeah. ran it. My theory is that they could get some easy yards out of Drew yeah. Aller doing that, and it would take some heat off of the running backs if he would show he would do it. And he's a big guy, and they do run him with the ball in other ways. Why not this way? So just because you're right doesn't mean it matters. Uh, and this is, me, <laughs> what? What? Okay, so like it, if you're outside and it's raining, um, that's just the state that you're in. And if you're complaining that it shouldn't be raining during our picnic, yes, you're right. You should. But like it is. And, and that, is the, that is the state of the world in that moment. So the state of the Penn state offense is they don't have a running quarterback. So it's going to be there. Like no matter what, even if, even if he does pull the ball, or even if drew Aller pulls the ball, he's not such a dynamic threat that he's going to give a ton of teams, a lot of pause. He can bring some balance back to the force. Um, but he's not going to, he's not going to tectonically change the pressure that is on the running backs. Um, and the other part of this, is that uh, James Franklin has said out loud whether he and he does not lie. We've talked, we've covered this before. James Franklin does not lie. He does not tell fibs. Um, he tries to avoid telling the truth at times, but there's a difference between those two things. He offered up free of charge. Yeah, we were going to put in Bo Prabula for a third down, and I nixed that plan. So there is a part of the offense. There is a sub package in the offense that we have not seen yet that is a part of that because if Bo Prabula is coming in the game on a third down, they want to get the running game involved. And that is something where we're going to see that when we see that, when they decide that that's part of the game. But when we're talking about the base offense with Drew Aller, it is going to be a frustration that they are going to key on the running backs because 
even if he does keep it, the calculation and the risk is he's going to get seven yards. We'll give up seven yards so we don't give up 27 to Nick Singleton and Catron Allen. And um, I, I think that if the, if, the, if the offensive passing game clicks, then it doesn't matter because you're going to have to keep safeties deep. You're going to have to do a bunch of different things that will involve taking players out of the box anyway. I will take the seven yards, T. Frank. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, I'll be you happy. Will, right? Because right now my running backs are averaging what four yards. I'll take the seven yards. Let's talk a little bit more about Drew Allen. Let's talk more about the passing game. Mm -hmm. And again, the overriding uh, conversation piece is about they're not getting any uh, huge plays out of the passing. They're not attempting it. They're not throwing deep. Mm -hmm. How much of that is? by design and how much of that is drew aller checking down hey there's an option to go deep on this play but he's choosing not to yeah so this is the the eternal duality of fan in that uh you have sean clifford who is bombs away all the time and you go check it down now you've got a quarterback they'll check it down and you're like where are all the big plays so there is there is a certain amount just like in the run game and this is not to say that there aren't things that they want to work on and things that they need to get better at in the, in the passing game. It's more of like, this is the reality of you. You don't get to throw deep and short. You don't get to be safe and explosive a hundred percent of the time. Um, so yes, part of the function is the personality of the quarterback, but um, more than anything, I would say there's a couple of areas of the field. They haven't really targeted as much. Now they have done more down the field outside the numbers where I think Aller will eventually be more comfortable throwing, but they have not done a lot over the middle, especially over the deep middle. And that's an area where uh, Sean Clifford and the tight ends were very effective last year against some of these two high teams they saw. Some cover two teams. Uh, Minnesota comes to mind of the big day for the tight ends. That's an area where do they change that in the future? Because I, I'm not quite sure of Drew Aller and his comfort of throwing over the middle, his comfort of, of taking maybe some calculated risks because there's a lot of bodies in the middle of the football field that are just there to take the ball away from you. Um, so how he clicks with the tight ends is going to be something interesting in the second half of the season. I thought coming into the year, Theo Johnson could be, you know, prolific in this offense with a strong arm quarterback that is more accurate. But at this point, we have not seen a, a real relationship between those two with explosive plays. Everything from Theo Johnson really has been underneath screens and uh, short passes and, and trying to get him to run instead of getting him running and then throwing him the football. All right, very good, T. Frank. We're going to get into more specifics on the offensive side of the ball in quarter number two. I also want to mention, we've been doing our show, Keystone Kickoff Show, for about seven years, and I believe this is the very first time the expression eternal duality has ever been mentioned. <laughs> so there's always room for a first. Stick around. we got more to come. Stress, maybe chronic pain. If you have any of these symptoms, that makes you like the rest of us. Um, and one of the ways that I deal with that, and I've told you for a long time here on the BWI YouTube channel, is that I struggle to fall asleep and stay asleep at night. And one of the things that's helped me is uh, rogueshop.com and their THC gummies. They are non-habit forming. I've never had a problem with stopping taking them or starting taking them or anything like that. Uh, you just take them and uh, before you go to bed, help you fall asleep, help you stay asleep. When you need to go shh, Shh, brain, calm down. 
That's what it helps me do. Maybe you have chronic pain, though. They have some salves and some other things infused with THC, something that's been proven to abate pain symptoms. Uh, you can go to rogueshop.com and get more information about all of that stuff. Again, I'm just here to tell you about how it's helped me, but if you want the real information about how uh, THC and CBD can help you out, go to rogueshop.com, and when you do, use the promo code BWI. You'll get 10% off your first purchase at rogueshop.com. Again, tell them uh, that T. Frank sent you from the BWI Live Show, and uh, use the promo code BWI so you can get 10% off at rogueshop.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is T. Frank Carr. We're talking about the duality of man. A fan, man, <laughs> a lot of dualities going on here, yeah. T. Frank. Gotta love that. All right. I, I guess you spent time during your off week going through your thesaurus. But uh, anyway. I haven't read books in a long time. I need to, I used to have a better vocabulary, or at least I was young enough that it was impressive. And now I'm just kind of like sloppy with my uh, word usage now, is how I feel. But I'm glad I impressed somebody. Like that's, that's good to know. Well, I wouldn't be too impressed with yourself. I impress easily, T. Frank. So, <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> Let, let's move on. Uh, when we were talking about the offense in quarter number one and our self-scouting, we were looking at the, the big picture, the generalities, the play calling. Let's look a little more specifically at the players themselves. Mm -hmm. We did talk some about Drew Aller, and he seems to be risk-averse in throwing the ball. We've had zero interceptions, which is the good thing. Yep. The question is, has he been willing to throw the ball into tight spots? Is he willing to do that? He mm -hmm. hasn't needed to do that, T. Frank, until now. Well, guess what? We haven't mentioned Ohio State and Michigan yet. It's time to. Yeah. Will he be prepared to do that come the big games, and will he need to do it? I think so. And it's because there are, there are examples of it on film. So in the last game, um, who was against who? Northwestern. That's right. Yeah. I told you that bye week just erased my memory. Um, at fourth and five, he hits a backside dig. He's the, I think, what looked like the third option in his progression and going through, okay, so the, the front side is covered. I'm not going to be able to get my man concept to get an easy first down and a wide open throw to the boundary, which is the short side of the field, an easier throw, easier completion in that situation. So he reloads, comes back to the backside, by the way, has the time to do it, stands in the pocket and finds Dante Cephas on a deep in on the back side of the play. 
did that again, you know, week one against West Virginia. So when he has to be, he absolutely has the arm, the accuracy, and uh, the intent to find tight windows and hit them. Uh, I wouldn't say routinely because we haven't seen it happen routinely. We have seen it happen uh, when it needs to happen. So down in a game, maybe you want to create an explosive play. Maybe you want to get a chunk play. It's not looking the same as Sean Clifford because he's a different quarterback. But I think you still have that aggression in there. I think you still, maybe not even aggression, just correct decision-making. And that's really what we've seen from from uh, from Drew Aller and what Mike Yersich talked about. I asked him about this, of what's the personality like of the quarterback and how does it impact the play? And basically what he said is, like, we're a progression-based offense. There's not a lot of freelancing out there. He does have some hard and fast rules he has to follow. And, you know, when he does decide to break them, there's a reason behind it. And there's trust because he has been so good at following the plan. So I think that's really what you're seeing is you're seeing a quarterback who is following the game script. He, like, these are the plays, this is where I should go with the football, and when it's there, I throw it. Um, instead of, I want to hit this, because I'm seeing something to the next level. And eventually, he may have to do that. But he is a first-time starter, and they're bringing him along slowly, and they're bringing him along with a level of, of trust, and kind of like the Nick Singleton conversation of, Master the position first, know the rules so that you can be an expert at rules so you can break them intentionally instead of just breaking the rules because, you know, that's what you did on that play. And I think that's a that's a better way of looking at how Drew Aller has performed, better way of understanding. And it is very much he is uh, he is in tune with the offense and he is safe with the football like there are there are personality traits that go along with that where he is going to do the right thing because he doesn't want to turn the football over. And, and, you know, just from there, it's just then play-to-play -play accuracy, which I think in the last game against Northwestern probably was his worst of the year, but his decision-making was very sound. And I'm going to add to this, uh, T. Frank, we may not see Drew Aller go deep a lot, but again, in that Northwestern game, when he chose to, I know they didn't connect, but it was Dante Cephas, right, at the back yep. of the end zone? Yep. Drew Aller put the ball the only place he could. And it would have been a tough catch for Cephas, but I, I thought he put the ball exactly where he was supposed to and gave his receiver an opportunity to catch the ball. Let's talk about the receivers a little bit. Going into the season, it appeared there was trust in Keandre Lambert-Smith. I mm -hmm. think he has proven that trust was justified. And in Trey Wallace. Well, Trey Wallace uh, played well against West Virginia. I think he. Caught passes on seven out of eight targets. Very impressive. But he's been out hurt, and it doesn't look like any of the other receivers has stepped up. Tell me what's going on with the wide receivers, and how badly do they miss Trey Wallace? Who was it last week that uh, asked the question and then gave the answer in the question? Uh, yes. uh, you, you nailed it. Like, that's really the, the situation. I didn't think... You know, we haven't seen a ton from Trey Wallace in the past. We've seen some acrobatic catches in the blue-white game. We've seen flashes of being good, and then we've seen not much else. You know, like, just in general, he hasn't had a lot of impact. And then James Franklin says, he's a guy that's played a lot of football for us. And if you count practice time, which we aren't privy to, there is a certain level of trust and understanding built up with coaching staff that, that we just straight up will never get. So... Uh, that was a surprise to, I think, anyone on the outside that he was so important to this passing attack that when he's gone, there is a noticeable absence. And again, it's only one game. It's only one game that we have to go on, but he was, I would say, even with a drop in there, 
very reliable at doing what Drew Aller likes to do, which is to take what the defense gives you and to take those soft corners in coverage to find the open route um, that you want to deliver. And maybe it isn't an explosive play, but it is going to move the chains. And I think that's an area where the efficiency in the passing game has dipped because of those issues you mentioned. Malik McLean came in again, started out hot, and then uh, we haven't seen him since the drop incident against Illinois. Um, Dante Cephas has worked his way into the offense, but is still working his way into the offense. So those are the areas that need to correct themselves. And the the biggest part of the offensive efficiency and talking about Drew Aller and our perception of him comes down to, you know, his targets, who's, who's out there and can, can, are they dependable? Can you trust them? Do they catch the football? And, um, getting Trey Wallace back will definitely be a huge cog in that. The second part of that is how do those veteran receivers who are, New and working their way in, in McLean and Cephas, how do they factor in over the next part of the, the season? And I don't know what to say about Amari Evans or, or Caden Saunders, you know? Like, they, they've been flash players this entire time. Caden Saunders has had good plays, but I think their, their uh, participation speaks volumes of where they are compared to the other players. And, and in, in Saunders' case, you know, you've got basically two players ahead of you, even if... Keandre Lambert-Smith is playing part of the time as an outside receiver. Like he's number one in the slot on the depth chart. And then behind him is Liam Clifford. And that's how it's gone. So when he has the opportunity to work in there, he has made some plays, but it's nobody has stepped up that needs to, especially on those outside receiver positions. And that's where you kind of take Clifford and Saunders and you put them at the side If they're doing what they're supposed to do in their limited role. And I don't want to say that it's limited by, you know, that's just what it is. It has been a specific role in the offense. The guys that need to step up are the guys outside of Keanu Lambert-Smith on the outside, and getting back Trey Wallace is 50% of that equation. All right, let's shift gears to the running game, T. Frank. Yeah. If we talk offensive line, at least in the passing game, they appear to be holding up very well. It's not mm-hmm. like there's been all, a lot of pressure on Drew Aller. But in the running game, the outstanding feature has been no outstanding features, okay? No yeah. no outstanding runs. None of those runs that we expected to see from um, at Catron Allen and especially Nick Singleton. Is there blame to be put out there for this? Mm-hmm. Is it the things the running backs are doing? Finger-pointing blame? like Yes, yes. Let's blame it on somebody. We've got yeah. the, the running backs. We've got the offensive line. I'm hearing things that sometimes it's the receivers downfield. Where, yeah. You know, I, I say, are they missing Brenton Strange, who seemed to have his fingerprints all over every big run last year? Uh, so they should be able to overcome Brenton Strange as much as you and I have talked about that. And I think he's an exceptionally good football player um, and did a lot of things that fans didn't really notice. I do think that you should be able to find something that works with given the talent that you have this year. Um, so I guess, where do we want to start in this? Cause it, it is a, it is a comprehensive running. The running game is very hard. Perfectly blocked run plays are rare. So like getting every single player to every single position to every single block, every single play is not going to happen. The best offensive lines don't do that. NFL offensive lines don't do that because the defense has something to say about what happens. So I'm looking at what is the aggregate from this from this unit what are overall what are they doing and from this group what i'm seeing is overall they are getting to their blocks their primary block and they are moving dudes off the line which we have not seen before from penn state 
part of this is going to be the conversation about this going forward is going to be health. JB Nelson is the second offensive left guard that they have lost at, and we don't know where he is. And like, it's not like they've misplaced him, but we didn't see him at practice on Wednesday during the bye week What is his status? Because if you're now going down to Venga, Yuane, that's your third guard. And that is, that means you're, you are a hair's breadth away from Anthony Donko, a freshman being on the field and Vega made some mistakes and didn't get to his second level blocks a couple of times last uh, game against Northwestern, which affected the run plays. You've got Nick Singleton trying to become a running back, always hit the hole perfectly. That is not bouncing or looking special or using that. Again, I'm going to make a Star Wars reference. He is not balanced in the force right now. He needs to find the way to find back to his center where he can run with rage, but also see the field. And those two things, uh, if you've ever been overcome with athletic rage, you don't see the field all that great. So you need to find that balance between the two. Um, not that I have extensive experience with it, um, just kind of an observation through life, right? Then finally, you have uh, the receivers blocking downfield. And I, 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 this is kind of like the whole Trey Potts thing. I kind of slough it off because if you don't have one and two, three absolutely does not matter. But when three matters, it matters. So receiver blocking is going to be a thing. Trey Wallace not being out there is a part of that as well. But I want to come back to what you said originally. Because um, I know we're getting here to the end of the segment. I want to uh, address this. The offensive line pass blocking looks better because the offensive line run blocking is better. I talk about true passing situations, obvious passing situations. Penn State has avoided those to a significant degree this year. They're basically passing when they want to. Um, and then in some third down situations, they are forced to pass block, but it's not all the time. And so you are, you are exposing Caden Wallace to less opportunities to fail. So he's failed less. He's better. And the situation they're putting him in is better. And that goes into the sustained drives, getting positive plays on first down, getting uh, second in shorts, third in shorts. So you're not constantly throwing in obvious passing situations. I did a deep dive on the Ohio State offense. They have 70 true passing situations through five games. Penn State, Olu uh, has 46. Caden Wallace has 51. So a significant fewer number of these are allowing the offensive line to block better. That is going to be magnified later in the season when they are forced into situations where they can't do that. But they are better overall at getting run plays, so they're better overall at protecting the quarterback. Very good, T. Frank, but that's going to be it for quarter number two. Stick around. Quarter three, we've got your questions, and we're going to ask T. Frank. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. We all know what that means. It's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions for T. Frank. If you want to send in a question, all you got to do, download our app, Keystone Sports. That's Keystone Sports. Download it. You'll see the Ask T. Frank, Ask Andy buttons. Just go right there and send us your question at the end of the segment. T. Frank is going to name his best question, his favorite. It's not necessarily the best, but it is his favorite. <laughs> yes. So he definitely doesn't put it, he pick Jim's favorite. It's T. Frank's favorite. And whoever he picks, you win the prize pack from our good friends at 409tailgateclub.com. That prize pack comes from their great products of barbecue sauces, barbecue rubs, including that great coffee barbecue rub there's a variety there's three different ones so you ready for the questions t frank i am and i just wanted to point this out because the last couple of weeks we've had people uh donating to the blue white illustrated youtube channel to ask a question and that's how we normally do it uh on the live shows 
This is a recorded show, so just so everyone is aware, I, I always appreciate people showing up, and the chat is always fun to be a part of, but this is our one non-live show a week, so I can't answer your question in real time. So I just want to say thank you for everyone that is participating, but that's why your questions haven't been on the show. All the more reason to download the app, Keystone Sports. Go do it. All right, T. Frank, here we go with the questions. I wasn't going to start here, but considering our conversation from quarter number two, I think this is relevant. It comes from our friend Brad in Percasey. He says, is Penn State's run game really a problem? Feels like we are always on schedule and not behind the chains. The only problem is we are missing the big plays. Am I wrong? T. Frank, is Brad wrong? No, he's, I, I, I tend to agree with him. Um, the, I think the problems are, so we'll see, you know, JB Nelson, uh, being healthy and progressing as a blocker. Cause it's not like he's a finished product or anything. He is a very talented football player that needs to continue to get better. And that is part of the potential and growth and development of this offensive line. So finding out what's going on in that situation and not losing another starter is a big, like, big bold asterisk highlight that's going to be a part of this conversation going forward is what happens there um but they are getting movement in the run game and like I, we just talked about in in the last segment um it's more of an existential thing with the running backs being in tune with what to do in the situation and sometimes the right thing to do isn't going through the hole that you were supposed to because it's not there some of the some of the times when you're watching Nick Singleton run the football, he's looking at the point of attack where he's supposed to go, but the offensive line hasn't cleared the lane for him uh, to, to do that. But even in those situations, he's getting three yards. He's four yards. And this is kind of the point of like, even, even when he's not being special, he's not wrong. He's doing what he's supposed to do. So, you know, those things will come with time and with execution and with opportunity. And this is the whole thing with Trey Potts and, and bringing him into the start, uh, the first three quarters of the game. And you're not going to get what you want. I don't think from changing the lineup, it's about letting these guys work through the issues that they have. And the issues are they're getting four yards instead of nine, which darn most teams are most teams are not at that situation now they will need explosive plays but they still have time to work on that but the time is running out so figuring that out and their identity i i think that being a ball control offense isn't the worst thing in the world as long as the passing game can complement that and supplement more explosive plays in that area because it does at a certain point come down to how many explosive plays you get irrespective of its passing or or running I, T. Frank, I liked your ex explanation earlier in the show where it's as if Nick Singleton is now in the process of learning the correct play, place to go, the correct run. Once he gets that down, it's then, okay, now when do you break the rules? When, yep. when is it the right time to do that? I thought that was an excellent explanation. All right, Jack from Tyrone says, taking a knee in Miami. What yeah. in the world was that team thinking, T. Frank? Um, we talked a another thing we talked about is athletic hubris, right? Uh, so we, we, I'd like to see Drew Aller be a little more confident and thrown to tighter windows, but that's just a personal preference. Um, running the ball when it's easy to take a knee and win the game, that is a little bit of hubris of like, we're just better than you. And we're going to show you that we're better than you. And then whoops, you're not. And then I, I just want to point out like, 
yes, they gave up the football in that situation. And that is, you know, on the coaching staff, that is a catastrophic mistake. Then they allowed some of the most ridiculous plays on defense in the final minute of the game to allow them to lose. So it's not just on that running back for fumbling. It's not just on the co- the offensive coaches. Like that is a systematic team breakdown where one mistake seemed to cause this cascade where now the defense is not playing with confidence. They're not playing with, Hey, we're going to win this game. So yeah, that's, that's a bad one. And, but the thing is like from a, from a recruiting standpoint, I don't think it's going to change anything. Like, I don't think that being bad and making huge mistakes and losing to Georgia tech, like they seem to still be on a roll. So eventually if they just out recruit everybody, it, they lost a game. They lost a bunch last year, and they're still better than they were last year. Well, I, I also want to point out, and not to, the coaching decision was unforgivable. Mm-hmm. That's the, the other mistakes were bad, should not have happened. Last play of the game, you shouldn't have a player running free behind the defense like that. But there's so much activity, so much going on on the sideline with the clock running. They should have known, hey, we're under 40 seconds. Just take a knee and the game is over. But I think it's one of those where they just let it go to – they got a little nonchalant about things. Yeah. Instead of saying, hey, wait a minute. Here is, you know, to be 100% sure. If we run the ball on that play, not that they thought it through this way, they're still going to win this game, right? I mean, it's still 99% chance they're going to win even if they hand the ball off. So I don't think it was given as much focus as it should have leads me to the, you need a clock manager guy standing right next to the head coach who can say, look, coach, take the knee, the game's over. And he needs to force the head coach into making another decision, which was contrary to that. All right, let's move on. Let's go to Tom in Belfont, who says, P. Frank, what would be the difference in a Penn State game plan playing a Michigan versus playing in Ohio State. <laughs> You're asking me to scout these teams before I've really scouted them. Um, so it goes to the nature of the offenses, right? Uh, and the nature of the defenses. And that's a lot to, that's two separate full game plans. So we're not going to be able to get into all of that. Um, Ohio State is an explosive team that wants to create explosive plays that wants to uh, threaten you deep with their offense. Defensively, they're playing a three safety system, so they're trying to keep a lid on explosive plays and play the run with their front five. You know, four defense, six. You know, four defensive linemen, two linebackers. They run a true three safety system, so they they take one of the linebackers off the field full time. That allows them to do some interesting things in coverage and allows them to uh, deploy and disguise more. So from an offensive standpoint, you want to be careful with the football. You don't want to get confused about who's where because they can show up just about anywhere. They can invert any coverage. They can put any safety in corner in any situation. Um, And then it becomes about making them pay for having three safeties on the field. You know, run the ball effectively. Even if it isn't for a thousand yards in a game, run the ball effectively. Um, Their their front four seems like they're pretty tough, honestly. Like they look like they've got a good um, run defense up front. And then how do you attack the weaknesses of having three safeties on the field from a coverage standpoint? How do you make those guys wrong? Then Michigan, um, they take away the middle of the field with their scheme and their defensive line. So running between the tackles, very hard on that team, finding a way to maintain balance and efficiency and then attack some of their coverages. That's a tough one because that was a very good defense last year. I haven't looked at what they are this year, but I really liked what they did of 
again, mixing up coverages, showing you one thing, rotating to another, trying to confuse college quarterbacks. Both teams can do that to you. But the difference is Michigan is really imposing up front as, as opposed to Ohio State, who is imposing up front. Um, so then on the, on the other side of the ball with the Michigan offense, they are using their running game and the quarterback run game as part of that. J.J. McCarthy, that's, an, that's yet to come of him being a real part of the run game. And they've done some modern concepts with him of, you know, look at what Greg Roman did with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Some of those things that have proliferated through football where you've got the quarterback is the primary runner and then the, the running back is the, is the give player. So you've got different schemes and ways to attack with a running game that are not just we're going to pull and we're going to counter and we're going to pull and we're going to counter. And we're going to beat you into submission with our manliness and our lack of thought, which is what I thought it was with Jim Harbaugh. And they've got the athleticism to stretch you horizontally and vertically in the passing game. So they are Michigan's a dangerous team. They are a good team. So you need to contend with how are you going to stop the run game and allocate enough resources to contain that short, fast athletic passing game. So they're, they're both just, they are very similar in their threat, but they are very much different in how they go and approach those things with, with how they want to run their offense and defense. Okay. Let's go to Marty and camp Hill. Marty said, Manny Diaz said, Iowa didn't chip us from the defensive side of things. What does chipping mean? Uh, chipping is when you take your tight end or your running back and you um, throw a shoulder into the pass rusher to slow him down on his way to your tackle. So from a pass perspective, that slows down the running back and the tight end from getting into the pass pattern. But it does allow the tackle time to set at depth and protect against speed, which they might not have. So what what uh, Diaz was saying and what Marty, what you're referring to is basically they were saying our tackles are going to have to hold up. And they didn't. And that was the end of that game. And you would look for that chipping when you have very good defensive ends like Penn State does. In, in yeah. other words, you're giving the tackles some help. Let's see. Um, let's go to uh, – this came up uh, earlier also. Henry and Mansfield, how much difference does a healthy Trey Wallace make? I think a, a big – so we don't know the upper end of the difference he makes because what we saw from him in his role during one game to begin the season was he was, he was a um, ball control receiver. He was a chain mover. He was getting 10 yards a catch, but Trey Wallace is probably the most athletically explosive player that Penn state has in the secondary. Uh, Keandre Lambert Smith is fast, but we're talking about hops, speed, explosiveness. Trey Wallace is that guy. So can he provide some of that deep threat that Penn State really hasn't had? Um, would he, in some of these two-man pass patterns, be enough of a threat that it gets Keandre Lambert-Smith open? And part of the problem is they've been taking these shot plays out of uh, big play-action sets where they've got everybody in but two receivers. And that if those guys are covered, there's nowhere to go with the football. So that's why you're seeing checkdowns. If you had Trey Wallace out there, is he putting more stress on that secondary to open things up either for himself or the other receiver. So there are areas where I don't know, but I know that from a consistency standpoint, that has been a proven thing that he provided to the offense in that first week against West Virginia. And again, small sample size with that West Virginia game, but I thought Trey Wallace was able to get himself open, which is a big deal. All right, T. Frank, that's it for uh, Ask T. Frank. Stick around quarter four. T. Frank will name a winner. 
Are you a company that is passionate about athletics and wants to tap into the Penn State sports community? Maybe you're a community organization in State College, Center County, Pennsylvania, or even planet Earth. Are you interested in growing your brand and leveraging our YouTube and podcast platform? Or are you just a person that has some money to spend? If you're any of those things, or something I didn't bring up just now, consider advertising on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube show. We have a dedicated and passionate audience that is just waiting to hear from you. Through, through me, talking about your business on the show. That, that's how we do it. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, email Michelle Delee Hamilton at Michelle at ComanPub.com. That's Michelle at ComanPub.com. We're waiting to hear from you through me talking about you. Again, that's how we do it. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. We're talking Penn State football during the bye week. We're doing T. Frank's self-scouting. But T. Frank, before we get back on that train, we need a winner from our Ask T. Frank segment. Who do you got? Yeah, Henry and Mansfield, I thought, had a question that I don't have an answer to because I think that there's a lot we can't know about Trey Wallace, but his his presence in the passing game and his importance to what Penn State wanted to do coming into the year, kind of like last year where you had Theo Johnson was a huge part of the game plan and he was not healthy because of something that happened in training camp and then he comes back late and finally halfway through the season, Penn State's offense hit its stride because it had all the players it had it wanted at the beginning of the season to operate its particular game plan. I think Trey Wallace is is a similar situation. So I think Henry brought up a good point, so that's why he's our winner today. Very good, Henry. You are our winner. We'll be getting in touch with you. Okay, T. Frank, we fe- spent the first two quarters talking about the offense. You had mentioned early on when doing the self-scouting, which I think is great. Sometimes it's the other side coordinator we'll talk about. So you'll have Manny Diaz scouting the Penn State offense, seeing how what he sees from the other side of the ball. Now let's talk about Mike Yursich, what he sees from the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. A lot of good things, I think, is the first thing that he sees from the defense. Yeah, I, where do you want to start? Uh, I'll start with the defensive tackles. And one area where we saw the most improvement is they they were much better at hitting their mark. And they're asked to do a lot of really hard things that are simple by being in the right gap, but the gap may be two players over. <laughs> and like, it's just, it's an intricate dance that is very hard to do right all the time. They have gotten so much better at it over the last four weeks. But I will also say that the quality of the offensive lines they've faced has gotten worse over the last four weeks, where their biggest test of the year was West Virginia. Like you, you didn't quite know what, Illinois would be this year because you know there's a lot of turnover on that offense and they were not the same offensive line they were a couple years ago Iowa was not the same offensive line it's been for 15 or 20 years so those two they were able to dominate and then going against Northwestern which you know has had good offensive line Peter Skaronsky was very good offensive lineman went in the NFL draft last year they didn't have Peter Skaronsky this year so they have they have done what they're supposed to do which is get better hit their marks and dominate and they dominated the last three weeks because those were dominatable teams and so like i think that that's an area where we'll see if the plan of attack is more delaware 
uh, where you allow explosive plays because guys aren't in their gap and, and guys are making mistakes or guys get pushed out of their gap. Or it's going to be the, the last three weeks and truly they have turned a corner and the, the level of competition doesn't matter because they are executing at such a high level. Defensive coordinators are always going to go to execution because they're going to believe that their players can do it. Um, but I do think there is a question of will they allow a couple of explosive plays in high leverage situation against teams that it could, it, that you are one blown assignment away from a big run against the, t- the teams that you're, you're concerned about. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you make a mistake, you make a mistake. And I think that's an area where, you know, going forward, I don't know that it changes. Like, you know, doing these intricate things up front causes the opportunity for more of that, but it's also the secret sauce. So what percentage of slants and stunts and twists are you doing? That's going to be like the self-scout is, hey, this is how I would attack that. And Manny Diaz could go, okay, we're going to do it anyway. And that's an area where I think that that's, we'll find out, right? Well, also, you brought up the Delaware game where they gave up the one big play. And it was pretty obvious, gap integrity. Somebody missed their mark there. Yeah. And the price to pay wasn't 10 yards or 15 yards or 20 yards. It was whatever, 60 yards and a touchdown. So the penalty for that mistake was large. Can I just jump in here quickly on that? Um, There's something that I broke down and I didn't have the accurate answer because I don't know what the play call is necessarily. And this is part of the early season of it's hard to tell what they're doing sometimes because guys are not making the right decisions. Guys are not doing the right thing. So you're like, okay, what was this place supposed to be? Um, it wasn't just Tyler Elson that was out of his gap. You know, I, I, I back channeled some things. I asked a couple, I asked around and confirmed, like there were guys, uh, that hung him out to dry. He's supposed to be in that gap for sure, but that gap is not supposed to be five yards wide. So it, it, even in those situations where it's obvious, um, and you want a guy to be great, you want Abdul Carter to shut everything down and make up for all the mistakes. Like the other mistakes are happening, even if you don't see them necessarily. And that's where I think they've gotten better is everything makes more sense because so many more guys on a higher percentage are hitting their marks that when it, there is a mistake, they're not back-to-back mistakes. It's not two guys making a mistake in, in gaps that are right next to each other. So you can actually go, okay, that's the part that's missing. That's the part that's out of place. And that, I think, is a huge thing of why I do think that they're going to be a competitive team in the run game against these quality teams going forward is things are making sense. Like You can see what they're trying to do. And again, I, I'm the one who says we shouldn't harp on the one play because it's such a small sample size, and I'm the one doing it. <laughs> but, yeah. but again, you know, to emphasize the point I think you're making is you could have the mistake at the line of scrimmage, which means the running back will get to the second level. He'll get five yep. yards, ten yards down the field, but somebody else wasn't there to make the tackle 10, 12 yards down the field, in which case, no one would be talking about that play three weeks later the mm-hmm. way we are here. So, I, I, yes, there, there's more going on there. But that's going to lead me to my next question about the defense, that, you know, it's hard to be picky about things going wrong. So I'm going to ask you about some of the things going right. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this. It, every game coverage of Penn State will talk about the superstars at every level. The, you know, you have a Chop Robinson, an Abdul Carter, a Kalen King every layer of the defense. I want to ask you about uh, some of the other guys who I think have stood out. People like Zane Durant, mm-hmm. I thought, seems to be stepping up. The other guy, and I don't think people talk about much, is it appears to me as a layperson that Kobe King is playing really well. What are you seeing from him? 
Yeah, so it's it's easy after the game those guys had against Northwestern to say, yes, they are absolutely playing well. Um, I would say the young linebackers in general are progressing very well, and Kobe King is is among those. But I also want to lump in Abdul Carter here because he can make splash plays, and he made splash plays last year, but they're asking him to do harder things this year, and I see him thinking more, but I don't see him paralyzed but to the point of uh, not being able to perform. So there's more to come from Abdul Carter as he masters the new things that they're asking him to do and his instincts improve and he gets more reps in this defense. So that's, I think, the most exciting part is that you've got guys like Zane Durant and Kobe King playing well, and there's still untapped potential in the front seven. Uh, Kobe King has gone from guessing to playing on his keys, and that's been a big difference for this Penn State defense is he's been locked down in some situations where maybe in single coverage he was not getting to his responsibility correctly or he was trying to be a playmaker on the backside of a run when he should be flowing over the top and getting a quality tackle instead of trying to get a tackle for a loss. He's improved that snap instinct of which one do I do? He's done a much better job of staying sound. But both of those guys are are reading and guessing a little bit in the early part of the season, and that is coming into form. Zane Duran is unlocking a new level of, oh, damn, that was awesome. There was one play against Northwestern that I highlighted over at bluewhiteillustrated.com on my film room where he defeated not one, not two, but three defensive linemen to get a tackle for a loss. He beats his original guy and then runs between two pulling guards to tackle a defense, a, a running back in the backfield for a big loss. That's something you don't normally do. So that level of uh, escapability, like making it, making the block irrelevant is as valuable as defeating a block. And if you can do that while maintaining your position in the defense, What's the difference between being 325 pounds and throwing a dude to the ground and having the dude fall over because he totally whiffed? And that's been the difference with this defense is, and and I want to give Hakeem Beeman a shout as well, because he got bigger and stronger, and he is bigger and stronger through contact, so his athleticism matters more now. That's been the whole point of they need to get bigger so that their athleticism can be part of the conversation. Both of those guys have been marvelous in, in being able to use their athleticism through contact and make negative plays or gum up the run game so that other guys can make plays. And that's, again, the, the you never know against a Michigan is, are they big enough and strong enough to use that athleticism? Or is it going to be a situation where they get washed out? We'll find out, but they are more capable this year of doing the things they're supposed to do than they were previously. And with Zane Durant turning the corner into a legitimate playmaker, that was the next level of this defense is hitting your mark is one thing, but hitting your mark and beating your man that's the next level, and the defensive line has started to do that a little bit. We'll see against better offensive lines in the future. If you're going to be critical of the defense and you've got to stretch to find the things, the <laughs> couple the couple issues I'll bring up are um, a couple missed tackles. Mm-hmm. The other thing is they've sometimes given up that big play when it's third and long. The quarterback scrambles, yeah. ends up running for a first down when it's third and 18. Uh, T. Frank, what I want to ask you about is in that type of environment, often you have a quarterback spy. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it last year. Sometimes it was Abdul Carter doing it, and he was phenomenal at doing that. My question is, is that a situation when it's happening where there is no spy? Or yeah. is it a case where there's been a spy and they've not made the play? 
generally they have been playing a defense called cover two man in these situations that have caused the, the long runs. And that is, you don't have a spy. You have four defensive linemen attacking. You have all of your players in man coverage and then two deep safeties to keep a lid on the defense. And you're expecting the, the defensive line to keep the quarterback in the pocket. So nobody is looking at the, at the quarterback other than the guys that are 15 to 20 yards down the field. Um, and then what's happened is in a couple of situations, these really insane stunts and twists where they're trying to get guys free. I've seen more than one occasion where chop Robinson has fallen into, uh, into Adisa Isaac and both guys go down. And so then you have these, these escape lanes. Um, that's also because of the nature of the quarterbacks they've been playing, whether it be Cade McNamara or Ben Bryant, who's a good scrambler, but not really like a super athlete. You're not running those coverages against quarterbacks that you're concerned about their running ability. So, uh, you know, maybe you'll see it against Kyle McCord because he's not an he's not an explosive athlete at the quarterback position. And then the tackling, I understand that the tackling is part of the uh, you know, it's a very binary thing. You're in space and the event happens and you're tackled or you're not tackled. Um, and so like fans will lock onto those things. Some of those situations, it's it's a little bit of happenstance of the players that are in that situation. You never want to miss a tackle, and you're gonna get zero excuse sort of commentary from a coach. It's different when it's Abdul Carter versus Cam Miller is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. And then the final thing that I'll say is the main thing for me that I think is the area that teams will try to exploit is the field safety and single coverage. That is Jalen Reed and Keaton Ellis. Teams have attacked that a lot. And that has been an area where if you've had success against this Penn State secondary, it's been attacking those safeties in man coverage. And they've got to make sure, especially against more dangerous opponents, that either those situations are limited or those guys have help. Because they play so aggressive and they put so much on those guys that even the safeties don't have help in coverage a whole lot. Very good, T. Frank. Thank you for the scouting report. And thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. 
Kansas, 1 770 Stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1 800gambler.net in West Virginia or call 1 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support in Massachusetts or call 1 877 8 Hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York.